Hello, this is Donna Reish with another episode of Wondering Wednesday, a podcast dedicated to answering questions that you might have about homeschooling, parenting, marriage, teaching language arts, household organization, and much more. Today, I'm going to be answering a question about preschoolers that was recently posed by a parent um, about what to do with preschoolers who are very high need. Now, this particular parent I know personally, and so the first several things of here will be things that I would just generally recommend uh, to anybody who is seeking a better schedule, a better day, uh, some solutions for some specific problems that you might encounter with preschool children. And then I will move into more specifics because I know that this particular parent already does a lot of these things um, in the beginning, and so then I want to move into more specifics at the end. Before I dig into the handout, and I hope you have that in front of you right now, um, it's a little bit long, um, but I had a lot to say. Uh, I always have a lot to say about babies, toddlers, and preschoolers, um, just a, some great ages. But before I dig into the actual handout, I want to draw your attention to the links at the end. That way, when I refer to them during the podcast episode, uh, you will know what I'm referring to. The first uh, set of links... Um, are links from the blog and the podcast itself. These links could come from the Character Inc. blog, Raising Kids with Character, or from Language Lady. But these are links of things that I have discussed in other episodes or in other blog posts that uh, might help you if you want to get more information about a specific aspect of preschool uh, children that I'm talking about in this particular episode. Uh, there are podcast episodes like what to do with a kindergartner, five homeschooling solution, uh, problems and solutions, um, uh, children and chores, and so forth. And those each have aspects in them that I'm talking about today that might help you. I also have some blog posts uh, links too that you can follow. And then I have some Amazon links. Um, I don't know if these are going to get in the handout or if they'll just be at the blog. Um, I'm a little bit confused about where those Amazon links are allowed to go. So my uh, tech girl will put them wherever they're allowed. But uh, these Amazon links are just some things that I think will help you as I as you hear when I go through the podcast episode and I talk about audios or I talk about waking children up in the morning or having them do chores and so forth, there are some links to things that I think you will find helpful that you might want to purchase. So anyway, without further ado, I'm going to discuss turning unusually high-need preschoolers into the darling angels that they were meant to be. Uh, first of all, some opening thoughts. I call this unusually high-need preschoolers because preschoolers, by their very nature, are high-need. I think a lot of times we get in our, in our heads that, you know, once the child reaches three and we're out of the quote-unquote terrible twos, which I hope you'll join me in an upcoming episode either next week or the week after that about um, how to avoid the terrible twos if you have babies and toddlers. But we have a tendency to think once we get out of that two-year range and we get into the three-year-old range and up, that they shouldn't be as high need. And there's some truth to that because, as you'll see through this episode, there are a lot of things that we can do to ward off potential problems and to help them develop and grow and mature in the ways that we want them to. But it's also a little bit 
misleading because preschoolers still are high need and we wouldn't want it any other way you know we we want to have this balance of the high need um high needs that they have in areas that they are needy in as well as independence in areas in which we're teaching them independence so um I call this unusually high-need preschoolers because this is like above and beyond what you would normally expect. Um, I loved having preschoolers. I've always said four to six-year-olds are the greatest. Um, there are just so many wonderful things about them, the first being their comprehension of things and and then how that just opens up such a wide world for parents uh, with their preschoolers, you know, as far as reading stories, as far as talking, playing, just all of those things that are opened up that are just so much fun during this age range. But with that also comes a lot of comprehension about behaviors and about expectations. And so that is another thing that makes this age so perfect, I think, because you don't have those questions that you had at 18 months. Does he understand? Maybe he doesn't know what I mean. Those type of things, because you know that he knows. The communication is there and the comprehension is there. So that is what I mean by unusually high need preschoolers. For this episode, preschool will indicate ages three to five and sometimes on into six in some cases. Uh, we always did the uh, better late than early approach. So our children were in, si- in kindergarten at age six and first grade at age seven. And so I still often think in terms of three to six year olds for a lot of these things. And then um, just want to touch on behavior absolutes. There um, are a couple of blog posts that describe this um, in your handout, and uh, you can go to those for more description of this, but um, generally speaking, when I refer to behavior absolutes, these are things that your family is putting in place for your for your family, for your children. These are the things that you have decided uh, as father and mother, if you if there are two parents in the home, um, or that you've decided will be your absolutes. We will not allow striking. We will not allow lying, um, whatever these might be. And um, you can hear more about that in our the podcast episode about raising kids with character terms. That'll explain a lot of that. And then also in the um, blog post, the four D's of behavior. So hopefully you can hit on some of that because I don't have time to explain it in great detail. But you want these behavior absolutes set in place first. Don't don't, assume that you're going to make things happen, um, make big things happen when you're in the day-to-day. My husband calls this um, parenting during non-conflict times. Um, We use it a lot in marriage strategies and even in our dance, our ballroom dancing uh, strategies that I don't have time to share with you now. But at any rate, uh, that these are absolutes that are for you all the time. It's not just something that you're trying to establish during the day or something that you're going to do on the on the fly. These are the behavior absolutes that you're going to have for your family. All right. So let's move on to starting the day outright. Um, I have found that preschoolers days are largely based on how they begin and um, I found this out the hard way by trying various uh, morning routine and morning schedules with my children Um, which if this is your first time listening uh, I have seven children ages 17 through 32 
and uh, we homeschooled. This is our 32nd and final year of homeschooling as we began homeschooling my younger sister 32 years ago. And um, so when I say based on my experience, that is, that's what I'm basing it on. So the first thing is to teach children um, to get up only after he, at a certain time, only at a time that he is permitted to. Uh, I've been surprised because I guess we just were taught this early on, maybe in our Greg Harris workshops, uh, maybe in um, Growing Kids God's Way. Probably not. That would have this would have been before that. Maybe in some James Dobson information or family family life. I don't even know where it came from. Um, so I'm surprised when parents, you know, say I've been up since five with my three year old, or I've been up since you know you know my two year old got up at six and I'm so tired. I'm always surprised when I read this on Facebook and I hear parents say this because this has always been a way of life for us that children do not determine when they go to bed when they get up, when they take a nap, when they eat their meals, where they eat their meals, and so forth. Unlike the an episode of some kind of nanny show that somebody told me about in which a child would only eat breakfast on his dad's shoulders with the cereal bowl on top of the dad's head, we determine these things for our children. That's why they're given to us, so that we can help them learn things that that will make them great adults, things that will make them godly people later on. And, you know, certainly not eating in a high chair doesn't make your child ungodly, but we are teaching the types of behaviors and um, schedules and routines that cause our children to learn self-control, to learn discipline, to learn um, obedience, to learn responsibility and those type of things. And uh, so for us, teaching our children that he gets, our child, that he gets out of bed whenever mom and dad determine the time was something that we did from the beginning. There are some options. He can ask when he get when he's allowed to get up. Um, he, he can call for someone, and then at that time, somebody can come in, start an audio. At the end of this audio, you know, you can get up, or at the end of two stories, you can get up, depending on what time he's, he's calling for someone. Um, he can call for mom who comes in, especially in the situation of a crib, gives books and toys and sets a timer for, we actually established this when our children were toddlers and, and older babies in the crib that when the child was still sleeping, um, one of us would sneak in and put in one corner, a little book basket and in the other corner, a little toy basket. And the child knew that when he got up, those were his things that he could do until, um, somebody came in to get him. And so I don't remember really, you know, having a child be in a quote big bed and making this happen because it happened earlier. I just remember that they woke up and even if in the big bed, they did whatever they were allowed, either pushing the story tape, um, the cassette back in our days or, um, getting books from a certain place where we kept those for morning reading or getting a toy or whatever. Um, there's also, and now I've seen these clocks that show your child when he can get up. Um, the, the whole concept of children running wild, um, you know, we think it's bad for mom because we think it's, you know, she can't get herself together. She can't get the morning started right. She can't help the older kids maybe with what they need first. And, and it can be, you know, a, def a real problem for mom. But I don't think we realize the imp impact that this can have on the preschooler. That whole running wild and loose and getting into things and needing things and not having any kind of routine and also not having his needs met, the combination of that can really be a bad combination. 
So these clocks uh, that are in the links, one uh, is a link to one link is a link to uh, some choices on Amazon for using clocks to help your child know when to get up. Another one is a link to a blog post that I found helpful uh, that you can make a clock that shows a child when he can get up by the collars that you collar on it. A um, couple of things for this. Um, morning time, starting the day out right. The first thing, uh, once you determine the getting up time and you have that whole thing solved, because loose children in the morning is, is not a good thing. Um, and I also am very big on developing focusing skills in preschoolers. And staying in the bed with books or with something he listens to, I really recommend not doing tech things in the morning. Not handing him the iPad or letting him, if he has an iPad, I'm, kids have all kinds of things, I don't even have an iPad or a Kindle or anything like that, but children have everything for some, you know, techie children. Uh, and, it, and it is a new day, and, and children do do a lot of things on iPads. I just don't recommend it. I recommend that that be limited, and one of the times you can limit it is first thing in the morning to learn these focusing skills in non-technical ways. So, um, for one thing, they need their mom first thing in the morning. So once you have determined this is the time he's going to get up, make it a time that you are available. Um, we used to have our biggies and our littles. I talk about that on the blog um, and in some of the baby and toddler things. And um, it was unlike what you might picture or what you might have heard about large families, which we had seven children by some standards. That's a large family. Um, it wasn't like you have to take care of the kids all the time. It was nothing like that. My husband and I raised our children. Our older children continued to help with our younger children and influence them and impact them in just amazing, amazing ways that I am forever grateful for. But it wasn't like that. It was like a, a joy. In part, it was a joy because our young children were taught to obey, to obey the older siblings, to obey parents, to respect others, and to be content. And so the biggies, so to speak, adored the littles, and they loved doing things for them and with them. They're, they voted, they, they called out, I want this little today, or I want that little today. Today, can I have this little because I promised him that I would build with the red bricks with him today, or whatever. It's, and, and that's a really great thing. But when I assigned a biggie to a little first thing in the morning, you're going to dress the little, you're going to rock him or read him a story, whatever. I always had morning, um, morning routines that I did with my littles. Then I noticed something happening, that even though our littles loved their biggies and vice versa, the, child, the children always seemed higher need earlier in the day. And so I turned that around and I did not assign a biggie to a, a little first thing in the morning. I was the one who had the children first thing in the morning. I was the one who helped them dress and helped them groom and spent that morning time with them. And so if you put off the getting out of bedtime until you are available, then you can make this happen and make your day a lot better. Um, next would be starting to put them in the morning chore session. Once a child is three, he can certainly be in the morning chore session. And I have some memes about age-appropriate chores that you can check out, as well as lots of podcast and blog post links about children and chores and putting them into the morning chore schedule. Uh, consistency in sleep and eating in the schedule and schedule blocks, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute, is key at these ages. Uh, 
predictability in a schedule helps these little kids much more than we think it does. It helps them because there's not this, you know how little kids always need things because they're bored or they need things because they're like anxious and they don't know what to do. But if they have a consistent sleep schedule, a consistent eating schedule, a consistent block schedule, schedule in which there's certain things happen at certain times of the day, not necessarily down to the minute on the clock, but rather certain time periods, then there's just such a peace with preschoolers because they're not like loose, like I don't know what to do. I don't know what how to face this day. Trust me, you will see results when you do some of these things. And my last one with the morning thing is to start audios early. I have put some links, as I mentioned before, to some early, some audios that are good for ages two and up. There are some that are better for older children, but I've tried to put some of the ones, The Pond and Jungle Jam and um, some of the Bible story audios that are good for these early ages um, to start with. And... Um, I really recommend using audios, and I recommend that you start audios with children as early as age two, because you want audios to be something that he loves just as much as he loves the iPod or a video, and you want him to look forward to audio time, because audio time has benefits and skills built in with it that you do not get through an iPad or through a television, or through a video. Not that those won't be used, and not that those are bad, but you're really missing out on some great things that can happen as a result of audios. So I would start audios at age two or so, and that's why I've included so many links to some really fun ones that you can uh, do with two-year-olds even. Um, definitely get these on your kids' Christmas wish list from grandparents. I cannot say enough about audios. Um, and as my little six-year-old always said, um, I don't need the pictures anymore because now I make them in my head. And that will start to happen. All right, so those are some things to consider first thing. Some very first thing in the morning type of things to start the day out right. I want to move into more structure equals more peace. Um, as I mentioned before, littles can be can just feel loose. They can feel unsettled. They can feel anxious. And maybe this will come out in bad behavior. Maybe this will come out in high need actions and behaviors. Maybe this will come out in uh, inability to get along with others. And maybe it'll just come out in a general boredom that you'll see in, in this age group. The days are very long to little kids. I mean, we think the days just pass by, you know, fleetingly, but with small children, that's not the case. They get up in the morning and they look at this day and it's like, wow, I got to fill this whole day. And, you know, we have, we have a, the ability to compartmentalize and to think about a lot of things. And, you know, this time is, this is going to happen this time that's going to happen. But unless that's done for our preschooler, he doesn't have that ability to do that. So he's facing the day, he's looking at what's going to happen throughout the day, and he's thinking, I'm bored, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm this, I'm that. Whereas uh, if we have the day blocked for him, then all of a sudden he knows things are coming up. He knows that he's not going to have to fill the day himself. He's not going to have to think, I don't know what to do. I can't think of anything to do all the time because these blocks are going to be in place for him. Now, I first got this block schedule idea through homeschooling my kids and thinking not in terms of 
time on the clock as far as minutes and hours, but rather think in terms of this is our morning, early morning block, this is our next morning block, this is our late morning block, this is our lunch block, and so forth. I talk about that a lot in my homeschooling scheduling uh, workshops and seminars and even blog posts. Um, but then I saw how well it worked with little kids because they would know, they might not know you know, what time it is or whatever, but they know that it's time for this. And so we started calling our blocks of time different things throughout the day. Morning routine time, morning reading time. I can remember when my oldest was three or four years old, we had a story time in the afternoon and we had a uh, reading time in the morning. And he would call that his subject reading. He always said, you know, is it time for subject reading? Well, he didn't know, and since I was just starting out with homeschooling and I had come from a teacher's background, I didn't know either that that was really called unit studies. So there you go. I, we invented it before we ever heard of it. Um, but he would call it his subject reading. And so he knew, you know, that after breakfast and the, after some playtime, then it was going to be subject reading time. And he would get certain books out of the library just for this time. And, you know, he knew that the, the storybooks in the afternoon with his younger sisters, that was story time. But these books about, he, he used to love these car, uh, animated or cartoonish type of books about um, all the presidents. And, you know, at four years old, he would choose those five and six and seven. We always read those during his subject reading time. Bible time, morning chore session, play time, room time, listening time, lunch chore time, lunch time, and so forth. And so call these blocks by certain names and put things in them. Now, when I say put things in them, I don't mean every moment of your preschooler's day is going to be structured. I mean that there will be blocks for things. Um, and some of those blocks might be free time. Some of those blocks might be play time. Some of those blocks might be room time. It's not like you are doing something with him all the time, and it's not like he has to do something constructive all the time. Sometimes it can just be free time. But there are, there, are, there are blocks in place, and so he can look forward to the times that he's going to do something with you or an older sibling, and he can look forward to the time that he's going to get to play by himself. Sometimes playing by himself is a really big deal for like a four or five-year-old who has young younger siblings because that's a time that he knows that I'm going to be in my room. I'm going to have whatever mom or older sibling gets out for me, or maybe it's always Lego time or whatever. And nobody's going to be able to tear down what I make. Nobody's going to disrupt that. It's just a really good way to break up the day into block times. When all the time is not free time, children play better. They are more creative. They do not waste time as much. And they plan their schedule and their time. I always loved hearing my little boys who are now um, 17, 20, and 23. No, 22. 17, 20, and 22. A birthday's getting ready to come up. Um, I always loved hearing them talk about their day at breakfast. Because they, were, they would talk like adults. It was just so stinking cute. And they would say, you know, for example... You know, after we have chore time and when we have free time, do you want to do this? And, you know, then they would turn to an older sibling. When you're done with school and we have before dinner chores tonight, can you do this with me? Or, you know, they would turn to each other and say, do you want to see if we can have our room time together today and we could do this? It was just so incredibly cute. Be and, and they always looked forward to it. It was like 
at breakfast time, they couldn't wait to start their day because they knew it was going to be a good, scheduled, fun day. And they knew that they were going to get to do things that they loved. And so anyway, I'm just telling you, it's darling. Um, next is to stage some things for them. We had a room time cupboard when the little boys were, when the little boys, those three boys that I just described were little. And um, it had things in it that they could choose from for their room time. And every day they would go to the cupboard and point to something and somebody would get it down for them. It could be a tub of Play-Doh. It could be a tub of, of um, building things that they don't have out regularly. I, I went to garage sales and Goodwill. I always got a lot of things. It could be book and tape sets. It could be whatever. And they could choose that for the day. And that would be, you know, maybe they would choose that for room time. That they take that tub into their room and then set their timer, or we would set their timer, or they would turn on their story tape. They always knew that it was one side of an odyssey um, for certain things and two sides of an odyssey for other things. Uh, talking about adventures and odyssey story tapes, or one two sides of Uncle um, Uncle Dan and Aunt Sue, or whatever. Um, or we would stage some things for them where we would set it up. You know, and we would maybe one day a week we would do, we would set it up and say, you know, uh, after lunch, you know, we're going to get your room time things ready or after breakfast, we're going to get your room time things ready. And when, when we call out for room time, you can do that. Um, a lot of times our little boys loved all the time. They loved to sit in on what we were doing during uh, unit studies. And so we would have quieter things that they could do then. They could get out their school tub and do their penmanship, do their um, think-it-through tiles or their hex, um, what do you call those? They were by, by design discoveries and you put shapes on a, on a picture and made shapes. I can't remember what they're called. Um, at any rate, oh, that reminds me that I have a whole blog post on nothing but room time, um, room time activities. Uh, I'll see if I can get that link for you. Anyway, um, and they would, we would stage it for them. So if somebody was making bread that day, that like uh, my older girls often made bread and really liked it, they would plan to have a time where they would have extra dough for the kids to shape and decorate with cinnamon and sugar and raisins and nuts and chocolate chips and so forth. And so you can stage some things for them. Uh, one of the things I recommend, even though we are in a tech age, and even though I'm way behind, behind, behind the times, is I highly recommend that children not have full access to technology. You know, when our kids were little, we had a, well, really, until 10 years ago, we had a one unit, well, maybe five years ago is when we got this television. I can't remember. I think it was only about four years ago that we got what we now have, which is a television, a DVD, and a Netflix thingy. Um, but at any rate, we had a one in, a unit, a television that was all in one. It, you could either play a DVD in it or you could play VHS in it. It was on a cart in our, in the, um, the parents' bedroom closet. And so watching something was not something that you could do very easily. And we never let our children watch things during the day. Really, we never really did at all until our last child who was very high need. And we had a, a, a block of time for that. Um, but I say that to say 
that even though technology is so great, and even though it's, I think it's amazing that kids can do so many things, they can go on the iPod, they can play games, they can do learning activities, all that is great. Full access to that is the same as what it used to be when we wouldn't allow full access to television or to videos during the day. That many things happen when you have full access. First of all, as I mentioned before, they do not know what is best for them. So we have them choosing what to do electronically all the time when they have no idea that they really need to eat or they really need to rest or they really need to look up books or they really need to do something with their hands or they really need to be outdoors running. And so they do not know what's best for them. So full access to electronics puts them in the position of making the decisions as to what they will do when they don't themselves know what they want to do or what they need to do. They don't know what they need to do, but a lot of times they don't even know what they want to do. And that's when you get this, I'm bored, go play with the iPod. I don't like it. I can't think of anything. I did that. I did those games yesterday or whatever. We're, we're putting really adult things onto children at that point. Um, and so I recommend not full access to electronics. I recommend blocks in which they are allowed and blocks in which they are not allowed uh, access to electronics. Their playtime will be more valuable and more productive, but also their tech time will be more productive and more valuable. It will not, it'll be something that they look forward to because they can't do it all the time. They'll plan for it. They will want to do it more. It won't bore them as much and, and so forth. So I recommend no full access to electronics. Um, use them, yes, but not to give full access. You know, we, we raised our kids old school. You know, you don't turn on the radio, you don't turn on the, nowadays nobody does that, I guess, you don't turn on the um, television, which they couldn't do anyway, but you don't turn on the computer, you don't open the refrigerator, you don't get food, you don't get drink, you don't do those things without permission. And I, I know a lot of people think that that's really, really old school, but I think that a lot of the things that we're seeing in children with boredom, with the inability to choose for themselves what they want to do with the inability to fill their time. I think it's not kids' fault. Kids are great. It's our fault because we, um, we give them access to everything and without the ability or the capability yet to really know what to do with all that time. Um, involve your children in the older day as much as possible. You know, bring them into the unit studies and give them educational coloring books, have them have their iPad time during that time, have them do their penmanship books or they're their practicing their writing on the boogie board, whatever it might be. Um, have them uh, play with Legos or puzzles or, like I said, the iPad or the computer games or whatever that, that they can do quietly so that they can be a part of what you're doing. I like to tell the story about Jonathan who is the oldest of the three little boys, and how he was somewhere between two and three. So I'm guessing he was two and a half to three, um, sitting in on unit studies day after day after day, just building with his Legos on the floor, happy as can be, and um, always very content as long as he could hear what we were learning and do what we were doing. And so um, one day after we had studied about the thinker in our unit studies, uh, Joshua, our oldest, was sitting in a certain position, and this two-and-a-half-year-old said, Look, Mommy, Joshua's the thinker. And 
you know, if I was not sold on the trickle-down effect prior to this and many other instances like this, this child sealed the deal for me. So, um, you know, that's just one instance. I remember another instance where uh, Joshua was eight and eight or nine, and Kayla was four or five, and Joshua wanted me to read the screw tape letters to him uh, by C.S. Lewis. He had listened to a lot of the book talking books and um, on audio. Books on audio, they are the best. Anyway, a little side note there. And um, he, uh, he, I wanted, I was reading this to him, and I just remember I was, I was, I was a young mom. I had Joshua when I was nineteen, um, and uh, in college, uh, we'd been married for a year and a half, and we had our first child. And then I finished my my undergraduate degree at that time, but when he was a toddler, um, but. Uh, I just remember really not understanding a lot of the screw tape letters. I'll just admit that to you right now. Now I can read it and understand it because I have grown as a learner and um, now I comprehend better after uh, being homeschooled for 32 years. But at any rate, and I remember telling Joshua, Joshua, I don't even understand this. I don't know why I'm bothering reading it to you. And his little four-year-old or five-year-old sister piped up and said, she was on the floor doing something like she always was, piped up and said, don't stop, I get it. <laughs> and and truly, she did. And so, um, involve your children in your older kids' day as much as possible. Use that alone time, that room time, or that play time, that you know bread dough time, whatever. Use that to teach focusing skills. You your children will be much better learners when you're when you're ready to start formal instruction with them if they've developed their focusing skills. Okay, I want to go beyond structure and routine and talk about some solutions to common preschool problems during the day. I know this is getting long, um, and uh, hmm, I'm thinking that this is going to take a while. I am going to wrap this up here and continue this next week. Uh, so at this point... Uh, I'm not going to talk about the specific problems. There are two, uh, three solutions and problems problems with solutions that will take quite a while to discuss and to describe. And so I don't want this to get close to an hour because um, we've been noticing that people drop off after uh, 30 to 40 minutes of listening within the, when the podcast episodes get too long. So I'm just going to stop here on turning unusually high need preschoolers into the darling angels they were meant to be. Uh, and you still will have the same handout um, with the links at the bottom of it um, for you to follow. And I hope that you will listen to this part and then join us next week. Let me whet your appetite a little bit uh, for some of this. We're going to next week, and that will be in next week's handout. You will have, uh, we'll have two most important points for daily occurrence problems. And then we're going to talk about solutions to three common preschool problems, fighting, whining, and asking for things over and over again. So I hope you'll join me again next week when I talk about these problems and solutions, and I hope you'll tell your friends about Wondering Wednesday. Visit Character Inc. blog and Language Lady blog. Um, I have some new preschool materials up, actually, uh, for teaching letters and sounds for young children, the uh, letters and sounds ABC cards and letters and sounds ABC song cards. Um, sound song booklet that teaches all these letters, sounds, 
through um, a song up with posters for each letter, uh, eight by ten posters for each letter that goes with uh, each letter's sound. So uh, check out some of those. Uh, those are available at my stores, Kerclick, Teachers Pay Teachers, and Teachers Notebook. And I describe them in great detail at Language Lady blog. So join us there, and I hope you'll come again soon to listen to another Wondering Wednesday podcast episode.